Welcome to Accelerate OC, the only show focused on the people leading innovation in Orange County. Join our host, Carrie Ransom, in his conversations with the trendsetters, entrepreneurs, investors, and leaders here, because it's time to Accelerate OC. Welcome to the Accelerate Show. I'm Kerry Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by OC4 Venture Studio, which is a new company building platform and community growing here in Southern California. There are a number of amazing founders that we already have in the studio. So if you're looking for help as a founder with your startup, or you're looking for opportunities to work with the next generation of high growth companies here, or just want to be part of this community, you can go to OC4B.com to learn more. I'm excited to have Katrina Gazarian with me on the Accelerate Show today. And before we get to hear from Katrina, let me tell you a little bit about her. She is currently the CEO of Eva8, which is a HR solutions provider to small and mid-sized companies. They do both hands-on consulting if you really want somebody to get in there, uh, but also have an online subscription service if you prefer that. Um, she's also an advisor, and I'm excited to talk to her about this as well, advisor to the Professional Collegiate League, which works with college athletes and is, enables them to directly benefit from their talent and marketability, um, a topic that's been oft discussed uh, over the last many years as the NCAA and, and universities have greatly profited uh, from a number of college athletes over the years. So we'll, we'll touch on that today as well. She's also a working mother and formed a consulting firm around that several years ago. Uh, that eventually became part of EVA 8 as well. Um, she's also a partner in an LA community initiative called 5D United, which works to help uh, drive health and wellness in children in underserved communities. But really, I, I invited Katrina on the show because uh, I want her to share how she beat out all of her other fifth grade classmates <laughs> to be named the funniest in fifth grade, which is her LinkedIn headline. Um, she's also a podcaster and hers is called HR Sucks. So I'm hopeful she'll have some podcast pointers for me on the show today as well. Katrina, it's great to have you here. Yeah, thank you. I mean, you really did your research. Tell me about this uh, professional collegiate league. How did, how did that come to be? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't a founding member of the team. Um, I had heard about them first at a private equity conference that I was at in Orange County that the Roth Partners um, put on every year. And it was for consumer products. It kind of hit me um, in the face as soon as I saw it because I just felt that they, number one, they didn't belong there, but of what were the odds that a basketball league was going to be presenting um, for funding at a at a private equity conference for consumer goods. And mm -hmm. so, of course, because um, I'm egotistical, I thought, wow, they were just there for me. Um, and after I saw the pitch, I thought it was a, I mean, my first thought was, wow, this is a Goliath situation. Um, and then secondly, I was very interested to learn more. Obviously, I'm familiar with David West, who sits as their COO. And so I thought, you know, how how hard can it be to talk hoops with, you know, people who love hoops. And so I was able to squeeze in talking to them before their official meetings that they have lined up. We talked for about an hour and I just really wanted to learn about the operational side, the ownership side, and just the ins and outs of how they plan to do this. Uh -huh. And I'm not sure if it's, this is just how I think in most ways of something that is so contrarian. I just, I need to know more about it and I wanted to be a part of it. I kept in contact with them over the next few months. Um, and then they were, they came here to LA. I met with them and we just, I mean, we ate when we talked for hours and hours. And then soon after that, they asked me to be an advisory board member. Um, I saw certain, you know, there, I think that, I think David brings a really great aspect of college you know high level college and professional playing and then for me my experience was not high level professional it was um you know FIBA which 
is more of the international circuit where you don't, you know, you can get paid out of a trunk of a car or you don't know if you're going to get paid. So I saw the struggle of people who were talented, but maybe didn't know the right people. And so I saw this opportunity as an outlet for those people. Obviously they're solving this problem of the NCAA does not pay salaries to their players. They don't offer benefits, even though the NCAA and the colleges that they or the universities that they represent are, you know, bankrolling essentially. Mm-hmm. And so this league will be paying these players a salary, benefits, 401k, and also financial education to make sure that even after they're done playing, um, they know how to use their money and save and also be able to, you know, maybe land jobs in whatever their career is going to be. Very interesting. So what, what's going on with it now in this environment where obviously uh, collegiate sports has been greatly disrupted over the last six months? It's, it seems like it's starting to come back a little bit, but has that had any meaningful impact? I mean, it has. It was more of in an opportunistic way. Um, without without there being you know Division One sports, there's an opportunity for the PCL to invite or mm-hmm. entice players to to officially move over to this model instead. Um, right now, the organization we do need to close funding um, in order to put on you know events during what would have normally been a college basketball season because Uh the PCL season was not going to be the same time as college season. It was going to be in the summer. Uh And so we, you know, right now we're working on creating an event that will give everybody a taste of, of what's to come. But I, I don't, I don't, I'm not seeing it. I don't think we viewed it as hurting us. I think we viewed it as a once in a lifetime opportunity Uh because college sports has never been paused ever. Sure. Um, and so I, I think right now we're just working to make it work. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's probably also helpful that there have been some other summer league or other uh, activities that have emerged in recent years that have been able to squeeze into broadcast, uh, right? Yeah. Or, or get, get some distribution and some attention. Uh, as well. So those, those I would think would bode well. I mean, the other one, at least from my perspective, I think about my kids who uh, they are being influenced by people that are emerging on their own as basketball stars, whether they're putting together their own highlights, but these, these emerging influencers also seem like um, that's another outlet that PCL could tap into too. Right. Their own marketability, right? Allowing yeah. them to earn money based off of their likability, marketability, and, and their hard work or their, their savvy business decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's transition a little bit. So tell me about eBay and what led, to, what led you to that opportunity? So by the time you put this out, eBay 8 will no longer be eBay 8. Mm. Yeah, we are, re, we, we are rebranding and we are relaunching, which now I can say um, the new name will be Game Day HR, okay. which is more in line with, you know, our branding and how we, our operational system that we use with our clients, which is heavily based on teamwork and sports mm-hmm. philosophies. So EVA 8, um, I went independent in 2016 as an HR consultant, um, I really saw that there was a need for HR consultants who knew business as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a, a couple of my clients went through equity transactions. One of them did um, a private equity round. The other one went, did a 40% exit with a public company from Japan. And so going through those processes, um, being so young in my career was difficult, Mm -hmm. but also very rewarding because I think I learned a side of HR that you don't see a lot of people knowing that the due diligence side. Mm -hmm. Um, And because of those transactions, the the clients that I helped get through those transactions offered to invest in, Mm -hmm. to expand my company. And so in 24 hours, I raised, it was like 200,000, wasn't huge, but it was enough. Um, to expand the team and really get an official office and mm-hmm. kind of update everything. And we didn't know what we wanted to name it because obviously prior to this partnership, uh, my company was PWM Consulting, which was the working mother. 
-hmm. And um, they did not want to be known as the working mothers, mostly because they were all male. Mm -hmm. And so, and so we were looking to relate. At, yeah. Yeah, we were we were looking um, at the trademark database and just trying to find a name that we could trademark and there was nothing like everything yeah. with consulting at the end of it is completely taken. I mean, we tried every language. We tried our street names that we live on. I mean, we tried everything and there was nothing. And so one of my partners was like, hey, I have this website, this domain that I bought, you know, 10 years ago. And so it was Eva 8. And I was, and that's his wife's name. So I was like, really, bro, like, we're going to name this, like, I mean, she better love you till the end of time. The fact that we're going to name this company after her. Um, but we ended up going with it. It, we were able to trademark it. it. It served us for, you know, two years, but it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't a name that I, you know, could relate to, which is why mm -hmm. HR Sucks was born because sure. HR Sucks was more of a branding strategy. Mm -hmm. um, and so game day is, that's me, you know, that's sports, that's like every day is game day. That's mm -hmm. kind of our motto that we're going in on and working with our clients and using, I'm a huge Phil Jackson fan. I think if there's any one person that I could meet alive today, it would probably be, well, it was Kobe. Um, and now it's Phil Jackson, but I've, I learned so much from just, you know, reading and doing what he does and even expanding on the practices that he does, not only as a coach, but as a business leader and a consultant as well. So game day is our new name. So your, your listeners are going to get one of the first uh, looks Sneak at peeks. that. What, what, yeah, what will the, what's the website? It'll be gamedayhr.com. Okay. Very cool. I yeah. love the name. So, I love the name. I mean, so I'm, I'm, I a, I'm a gamer. Thank you. I, yeah, I'm a gamer. So, I mean, meaning not gamer like video gamer, but you play. You play like, a lot of games. Too, I, love, I could tell. I love to play games. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's how it started. It was just you know good luck and hard work and people believing in me and this is where we are today. Very cool. Very cool. Well, congrats on the name change, and I think. Uh, uh, I think it'll be awesome. And thank you for sharing the story. I, I mean, that, that's the reality yeah, of what, what happens with entrepreneurs at times is you're just searching and you're like, we got to name it something. I mean, that's kind of where we are um, with our venture studio right now is we, we just kind of grabbed a name last year as we were getting going. And now as we're settling in, we're having that reflection of, do we want to keep this name or yeah. uh, is it time to move into another one? Right. And so I totally relate. That's that's super cool. When you're young, I think it's fine, right? When your yes. company is young and your project is young, it's that's it's right. when I don't know if P, if P Diddy could do it, I feel like I could do it. That's right. Yeah, and I I mean honestly, I I I'm not when I even meet founders or we, we that's that's a lot of the life that I live these days. Um, often I'm not that concerned about the name. Um, so mm -hmm. nobody knows it. So what you know, at this point, it's not that big a deal. In fact, I would say some cases. Uh, a bad name, maybe, you know, something that keeps it under the radar for a while and you can build more value uh, without everyone knowing about it. If that's part of the strategy, if you need to, to sort of um, get to a certain point where before you're credible. So I, I often will say like, okay, that's just, we'll, we can deal with that later. That's easy to fix uh, at, the right. point, at the point it matters. Right. And it's about friction, right? It's, it's, is this name going to cause friction for people to find us? Like a lot of companies or, or startups that I've seen, you know, they want to be really clever with, you know, they want to use normal words, but they're clever in the way that they spell it or they take out the vowels. And it's like, that's just too complicated because people aren't going to know, okay, which vowel they're supposed to leave out. And, you know, so if it's causing too much friction, I always push for the, for those startups to change their name. Yes. Um, to make it easier to find. But with Eva 8, there is friction in that name because number one, pe some people aren't sure how to say it, mm -hmm. right? They're, they think maybe it should, it's all supposed to roll into one name, maybe like Eva 8 or mm -hmm. something like that. And sure. and I think that was, that was like a huge uh, sign for me was I was on a call with a really important lead. It, it was it's a dream client of mine. Mm. And I think like three times he asked, 
how do you say it again? And I was like, fuck this. This is stupid. Yeah. I'm not doing this. Like, it's got, and I really, I literally like text my partners, like we're changing the name. That's it. Like it's had its, it's ran its course and it needs something different. So we don't, you don't want to cause friction with your name. That's right. I guess a great point. And, and I think I appreciate you for just having that openness of, Hey, I'm going to listen. I'm going to pay attention. And if I see people stumbling, it's not about me, it's about them. And if, if, Mm-hmm. Isn't it, if this isn't helping them get to me, then yeah, that it doesn't make any sense. So good, good stuff. Let's go uh, a little deeper. Uh, yeah, I love your LinkedIn, particularly your about me section. I mean, often uh, when I'm first getting to know somebody, I, I kind of will, you know, go on Google, go on places like LinkedIn, just to try to get a sense of who they are. And I, I felt like yours was to me, very clear that you're direct and you're to the point, but there's a lot of personality uh, in that as well. Um, you know, what, how, how, you know, did that, was that hard for you to pull together? Is it, was it off the top or was that something that you revised a whole bunch of times? Because sometimes there's, it takes a lot of effort to be that simple. No, I mean, one thing that you'll know about me is I don't spend a lot of time on things like that. I really just type, I I type what I feel. And as I've gotten older and and more advanced in my career, I've gotten a lot more comfortable doing that. Whereas before I probably would have edited and, oh, what are people going to think about this? But at this point, honestly, it was just to poke fun at everybody else, which is kind of my MO. Yeah. I mean, the, my headline, I I randomly was chatting with somebody on there and the, the idea came up of, of, the headline and I was just looking at all these other headlines thinking like wow these are like some people have like 20 different like titles in there or you know they're just or it's like a like a whole phrase and I don't for me it was when I see someone's headline I want to know exactly what you do right Mm -hmm. that's the point of LinkedIn you know the the you learn the personality as you look deeper right but your headline it should tell me exactly what you do Mm-hmm. you know, and maybe you could throw a little pizzazz in there. But some of these headlines were just freaking ridiculous. Yeah. And so for me, it was to poke fun at that. Mm-hmm. And I was chatting with someone and I, was, and I told him like, wow, I'm, everybody just has all their accolades on their headlines, right? And so I told him, you know what, I was voted, you know, funniest in fifth grade. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I think I'm just going to change it to that. And I'm pretty astounded by how much attention I get for it, to be honest. Well, I'm just, I mean, I think I'm most uh, curious because, you know, when I was in fifth grade, we didn't have those superlatives. I don't think they showed up until maybe junior high or, or for sure high school. So yeah, we had a fifth I mean, what, grade. What sort of school were you going to? Like we weren't, we weren't ready for that when I was in fifth grade, but I, you know, I'm from Indiana. So maybe that's why. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember why they came, came up with that, but we definitely had them in fifth grade at all of middle school and in high school it was just the seniors, I believe, that had them. Um, but for the, I don't know what made them come up with that. I don't even know if they had done it the year before. I don't remember if they did. But for some reason, the person who, um, the, the personnel who took care of the yearbook just thought it was a great idea. And mm-hmm. so, there it was. That's awesome. Well, so were you consistently funny or was it just kind of one incident that just cemented it in, in the mind of your classmates? Yeah. I mean, I was definitely consistently funny. I think that was my way of um, getting attention, obviously, but you know, I was, I was kind of, I was a geek, you know, growing up and I was really smart and I did well. Yeah. I did well in, in school and um, I would get bored, honestly. And so because I was bored, I was always disruptive mm-hmm. um, to everybody else in the class because I needed entertainment. And so I think that kind of started the reputation. And then when this was going out, when this this was happening, I'm pretty sure I lobbied some people to like vote for me. I would have competed. I would have definitely competed against you if we had... <laughs> If we, yeah. had, uh, I would have tried because I was, uh, I, I can relate so much to so much of what you were saying there. Yeah, I mean, and then 
every time there were, I was one of those kids and it's ironic because my daughter does the same thing. Even she's far more photogenic than I was as a kid, but you know, I would always make weird faces like when pictures were being taken. And so they put a picture of like, that was my picture that they used. It was during a Christmas event. I have like a Santa hat on and I'm going like this in the picture. And, uh, that, that was my, um, that was my stamp of that elementary school, I guess. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, we, we have a lot of common, I mean, based on your, your about me, you know, um, we have a lot of common views. I mean, one of the things that I, I really uh, honed in on, on your uh, LinkedIn was you're talking about really trying to do things to progress on shrinking the wealth gap. Um, what, what are things that you feel like we should be paying more attention to in that regard. Because I, I actually really agree with you that that's, a, that's it's sort of an existential issue in our society for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the issues, number one, is people do get bogged down on what is the one solution. And the truth is there mm -hmm. isn't one solution. There's so many things happening. There's so many things that play. There's so many things we could do. And so I think number one, people just need to understand what, what, are, what are they going to do and what is their role going to be? So I'm not saying what we do. I don't, I'm not saying it's going to close this wealth gap, but what I'm saying is it will help, mm -hmm. right? This is going mm -hmm. to be the piece that we help with. And so one of the important things that we do with our clients um, who are really focused on being an equal pay employer is mm. the salary band banding their salaries. Mm -hmm. um, so essentially what banding the salaries mean for people who don't understand that is from entry level to C level in a succession plan or in, you know, in a department, all of them are going to be banded by a very, by a percentage range with, right. And so what that means is the person in the seat in the C seat, will not, will, can only make so much more than the person at entry level. Mm -hmm. And so I think for us doing that, and then we then audit the entire roster to make sure everybody, you know, fits and, and that, you know, people who are engineer ones are being paid as engineer ones and, you know, making sure everybody, fit, we kind of do this whole analysis. I think that's a great start, Sure. right? So if we can at least like band these salaries, um, then we don't have this, you know, top 1% or the C-suite making 18, 20, 100 times more than mm -hmm. everybody else. So that's our role in it is, is how do we create equal pay employers? Very cool. I, I think that's super, super cool. And I mean, the other one I would suggest too is how do we create more broad ownership in companies too? Uh, one of the things that I've uh, I've spent most of my career by choice. I grew up in a family business. We uh, owned it in my family for almost 150 years. And um, I, I always appreciated that, you know, my dad, for example, put in place profit sharing and other plans mm -hmm. to sort of try to give some phantom ownership to his employees, but it was family owned. You know, I've gone into the technology industry uh, early on, have worked in a lot of venture-backed companies. I now am an active uh, investor in helping people build companies. And one of the things I really like to talk about is this shared ownership and giving out equity, ideally to everyone in the company. And, and I think it, it both teaches and um, creates the opportunity to share more of that wealth with, with others. It takes all these people to contribute in an organization to build that value. And so I think doing more of that and even creating uh, expectations to share it more generously, to me, is a key part of what, what I'm a big believer in. Well, I, I agreed. And that's, you're, you're talking lines of like an ESOP program or something like that as well, right? Could be, or, um, or just, yeah, or just, you know, um, different ways to just um, to give that broader ownership and participation. So yeah, whether it's stock options or, um, you know, in any form that uh, I, I think over the long term you build better companies that way, frankly, it's, you know, culturally, it, it feels right. like we're, we're all in this together as opposed, you know, it's, it's team. It's not this, you know, this one uh, person or, or just a couple people that, that get all the spoils. No, I completely agree. And you, you get to where you want to go a lot faster, believe it or not. I don't, I, because 
one of the key factors to a company being able to grow is employee engagement. Yes. You know, 60, I think that before the pandemic, it was about 60% of the workforce was considered disengaged. This is before the pandemic. I can't imagine what it's like right now. That's right. Um, and so when, when you have this disengaged work, it costs billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars for companies um, across the world. And so if you just invest up front a little bit with your employees, it actually takes you a lot further a lot faster mm -hmm. because now you have employees who are in fully engaged because they know that this is part of them now. They have ownership. It's going to help them financially as well. And so I do agree. I think that when I talk to startups and founders, that's something I'm always pressing is if you can give some stock options or, and, it, and the thing is, it doesn't really cost you anything up front. You can do it. You can vest it over, sure. you know, uh, years of time. You could even have them contingent upon performance metrics. Mm -hmm. So it's really not that difficult to, you know, create the program and it doesn't cost you much to start it. You basically, they only get it. They only get, you know, their stock or their equity if the company is doing well. That's right. If and the company's it's only going to be worth, well, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Nobody makes anything anyway. That's so right. It's not going to be worth I, anything. That's right. Yeah, I don't really see the risk in, in doing it. And I think a lot of founders, um, I don't know, maybe if they're just high, they have like a high philosophy of capitalism, you know, or they're maybe being mentored wrong. I'm not sure, mm -hmm. but there's just a lot of bad information out there. And I think this particularly is good information that they need to understand. Yeah, totally agree. So what, one of the tests that I've uh, observed and also you know heard over the years is this sort of t-shirt test of you know, would, would the employee wear the t-shirt? And, mm -hmm. you know, what, what are the things in the culture, in the engagement, in the ownership, et cetera, that would inspire somebody to, to wear on their, on their sleeve? This is, this is the company I'm a part of. Um, and that, you know, sometimes that's not as easy as someone might think. Uh, and, and to really reflect on that. And, and so that, that's just something I would offer as, as you think about starting owning a business, you know, what, what, what do you need to do to get someone excited to, to proudly portray the colors or the, the brand that they're part of? Well, there it's twofold, right? So it's not only finding those people, but it's also interviewing and recruiting the right people. It's not, it's not at the end of the day, you're going to have a handful of people who just don't care. They just don't mm -hmm. care. And it's not necessarily their fault. It's just that, they may not have the level of self-awareness that they need to understand that they're not in the right place or they're not really passionate about what they're doing for work or about anything really. And they still have to kind of go through that journey. And so helping them go through that journey is also a part of employee management. You know, Absolutely. how do you, how do you help your, your staff find out what they're passionate about? And are you selfless enough to, if that they're not passionate about what you're doing, are you selfless enough to let them go? Yes. Um, and so I think it's not just about, you know, how do I, in, how do I instill passion into my team, but it's how do I pick the, the team that is passionate about the same things that we are. Um, and again, I don't, I think that that's a very underrated process that startups, you know, and founders yeah. don't understand, you know, they'll, it, they kind of will start recruiting their C-suite, the rest of their C-suite, for example, because that C-suite person came from a huge company or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, they look great on paper, but, you know, they're not really making that connection of, okay, so this person came from a high, like a technology company. What we're doing is trying to fight back on technology. Does it make sense that we're recruiting? Okay. You know, what I mean? they just, they're just not yeah. really introspective enough to make these connections. And so, they work so hard and so hard and so hard to get everybody engaged and they do all these out of the box things for them to, thinking that it's going to help. But at the end of the day, you just need to ask them, what are you passionate about? That's what right. do you want to do with your life? And do you even know? And if they're, if they don't know, then you got to help them figure that out. Mm -hmm. And so with the t-shirt thing, um, I mean, we have t-shirts, but ours are more slogans, right? Sure. One of our shirts are the future is human. And, I always see on Zoom that the staff wears them, um, and then we get varsity jackets. But that's a for good them. sign. That makes that's gotta yeah. make you feel good. I'm like we're doing something right if they'll uh, 
well, black, right? I feel like everybody <laughs> loves black t-shirts with white writing. So, <laughs> uh, you gotta make the t-shirt kind of cool, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, that's a also. good, that's, that's a good strategy too. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it, my point is, is I've done it before. I've, I've offered the equity I've done. I mean, I've created the opportunity there and they still didn't want it. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be able as founders and as business leaders, we have to be able to know when that's happening and to take care and bring resolution to the problem. All right. There's so much gold in that. All, a lot of that. Uh, I mean, the, the other thing, I mean, I'm a big believer of, of retrospectives and trying to do that, you know, from a meeting, from a project. Um, and partly it's about this idea, like I'm going to screw a lot of things up. If I look back in all the different businesses I've been involved with and decisions I've made, um, I've, I've made a lot of mistakes. I've, thankfully gotten a few things right. Um, but really for me, as much as anything is trying to not make the same mistake a second time. And I think around people and hiring and culture and so many of these things, you, to your point, you know, that introspection and that self-awareness, particularly as the entrepreneur, as the leader, it, you, I, I've seen way too many cases of people making that exact same mistake over and over. Like I'm, I hire this person because they have a brand name on their resume and it doesn't work out. And instead of really thinking about maybe why uh, it didn't work out, you, you, they just bring the next one in with, with another brand uh, and the same, same thing happens again. And so uh, I think you, you share some great thoughts there on, on things that, that people could do differently. It's amazing how, um, <laughs> I don't know why this just came to my head right now. But you're right, you know, in business, you, you don't want to make mistakes <clears throat> over and over again. But how often do we make mistakes in our personal life over yes. and over again? It's like, maybe I need to take, like, I always overeat. I eat, I eat dairy. I'm not supposed to eat dairy. It makes, <laughs> yeah. makes, it makes me and everybody in my house miserable when I eat dairy. But I just keep doing it. And I never learn my lessons. So mm. I always, I'm always trying to figure out, how, like, personally, like, how do we move this discipline over in all aspects of our life? Because most people are only disciplined in one or two areas of your life, right? I don't give a crap what all these influencers say about how this, like, you know, they, they, they talk about how they have this one problem before and how they never have the problem again. Like, you're, just, you're so full of shit, dude. Yeah. Like, we don't really change who we are. Our core issues are always going to be our core issues, right? That's now, right. we just learn how to manage them for the most part. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, like, we're only disciplined. We only have the capacity to be dis disciplined in a couple of areas. And so, if business, so, some people have profound ideas um, and they're geniuses, but they just don't have the discipline in business or they don't have the discipline in how to run business or how to learn, but they're disciplined in other aspects, right? Maybe they're a workout you know, sure. freak, they have like six packs or whatever. Um, but I always wondered, like, how do you, you know, like, how do you yep. take that? How do you transition that discipline into more areas of your life? Because even though, regardless of how successful people are, it just doesn't work. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, that's really fascinating observation. I, I'm sure that's the case with me. And I'm not sure that I have figured out how to transfer that. I mean, one of the things I talk about with founders is we try to identify their area of genius. And my guess is that their area of genius and the area they transfer their discipline into often align. And what we're trying to do is increase the likelihood of success. And so our view is if we can keep you in your area of genius and we can surround you in the areas where you're not as strong, maybe not as disciplined, we fervently believe it's a team sport to build build great companies. So if we can get that right combination, it's sort of the the coach aspect of you're you're constructing the team. You're going to greatly increase the chance of succeeding. So that that's how we tend to to approach this as we think about building companies. Often founders will believe that because they're genius in some area that is around their idea or something that they can transfer that. I think we as humans in many cases think, well, I'm, you know, I'm smart. I'm a good student. So I must be good at everything. I mean, and I think that's just not the case. I no. I think you're what you just shared is so accurate. And we just often don't want to account for those 
areas where we are really weak. And, you know, I know I have plenty of those. Right. It's intelligent. And, and I always, this is something that I always say is intelligent. You're not, usually you're just not an intelligent person. Intelligence is practice. You have to practice intelligent and making intelligent decisions all the time. I mean, how many times have you heard say like, wow, for a smart person, that was a really stupid decision that they made, mm -hmm. you know? So to me, that just shows intelligence is not just something you're born with. It's something you have to keep practicing and get better at in certain areas of your life. I have a question for you. What do you think my area of genius is? I'm not sure yet, but wow, I have been really impressed with how insightful and, and kind of honest you are. So I feel like, there, you know, there, there's definitely a reflectiveness that you have. Um, so uh, it, it's probably around people would be my guess that you, you understand people would be where I would try to explore if we were going to go, go farther. I think, I think so. Have you, are you familiar with the show Billions? Yes. Okay. So, so I hadn't watched it. I just started watching it like a mm -hmm. month ago or something. And I've had like three or four people tell me you're like Wendy Rose. Mm -hmm from billions. I was like, okay, cool. And I'm, I tell my boyfriend, like, we have to start watching this show. I, I see a lot of alignment in that, in that I can figure out, you know, who, how to get people to perform at their best. And that comes from coaching, like you sure. mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, I had great conversations with Meta World Peace, formerly known as Ron Artest. Um, Former pacer, I, yes. Yeah, yeah. I essentially told him, like, you would be the worst employee ever because you're unpredictable you're kind of violent um you're not really consistent in your performance and so i was so curious of how did phil jackson create this championship player mm -hmm. and it and, and it was during a time where he was on his way out of the league mm -hmm. and he wasn't performing or putting up as as much numbers as he was in the past and so i realized that there's magic in that there's magic in figuring out how to get players or team members, for example, like your staff to perform at their best consistently. And it's truly mm -hmm. about, you said, identifying, identifying their area of genius and giving them flexibility in their performance. Mm -hmm. Oh, so good. So how, how, how did you determine and find out that you were an entrepreneur? I don't like people telling me what to do if okay. I'm being honest. <laughs> I, I, you know, I had, I had in my career, you know, I started in financial services, um, you know, I was working for big banks and then I kind of moved over to the credit union. And one thing I realized was my manager either loved me or they hated me. Mm. There was really no in between. And I started to realize the ones that loved me were the ones that let me be myself and kind of go let me off the leash and go do what I felt was best and allowed me to perform at my highest level. And the ones who didn't were, were the ones who really wanted to make sure that they kept me under mm. and just enough to where they under, they knew that I knew who was the authority in mm. the situation. Mm -hmm. And that drove me nuts. Of course. Um, because I felt like, I mean, it, it, it's probably a combination of arrogance when you're young, right? You think you're smarter than everybody. If you, if, if you grew up being one of the smartest kids in the class or in the school and you never had to study, you didn't have anybody help you with homework or anything like that, there's a certain arrogance that comes with that when you enter the real world. And it's something I was, I was very aware of at a young age. Mm -hmm. And so most of the HR people I had had experiences with, number one, had very low emotional intelligence or people skills. And number two, a very low business acumen. And I just felt that, it call, again, call it my arrogance or ego. I wanted a seat at that table doing what I love, you know, mm -hmm. representing the people. And so in order to get there, I realized that I had to learn business. I had to learn how to read a PL and I had to understand balance sheets. I had to know the various rounds of funding like pre-seed and seed and what they mean and series a b c d and going ipo like i had to learn the entire business side so i can have those conversations with the c-suite or the founding members and so mm -hmm. that way i can be invited into those conversations sure. and so i realized that that was something that 
when I looked at the organizational charts of, of companies, there was no chief of HR. You know, there, you, there's usually a VP or a director of some sort that reports to the chief of operations. Or maybe CFO even, or... Yeah, yeah and, 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 and that's yeah. the thing too. It's not even clear, right? Like even that isn't consistent. It's basically mm -hmm. like, like, hey, Larry, the CFO, do you, can you take HR like under you? Or, yes. you know, it's, it's not even consistent. Is it operations or is it finance? It's definitely not finance. Everybody listening, stop putting your HR under yeah. your finance team. That's payroll but it should be operations, right? Because in order, to, in order to build out strong internal operations, who's doing that? It's the people that are operating within the system. And so they therefore should be under operations, but most importantly, they should have their own branch. Sure, as I say, they should, I mean, from my perspective, it should be you know, almost strategic at the, at the senior tail. I mean, as you heard me say earlier, like if building companies is a team sport, that is people and, if, if the way that the people operation of, of an organization is, if it's only managed through one function, then it doesn't have a broad enough perspective on the overall company. And it's not like there are only people in one area of a company anyway. They're, they're right? everywhere. They're everywhere, yeah. right? So yeah, so, yeah. so it, it'd be done right. And, and I, I agree with you, far too few companies actually uh, actually get that. And I think it, it, you know, it starts from the leadership at the top. They have to truly believe that. And I think often, um, depending on where their perspective is on and how they grew up in the world, that will influence it. It's kind of that, you know, one of the things I say is I'm, I'm always amazed at how people interview. And in many cases they interview based on the way they were interviewed. And so they don't actually critically review that. They just go, well, this is, a question I got asked or something. And so it just perpetuates bad behavior and bad approaches and bad thinking. And so at some point people have to insert themselves like you and go, no, 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 like that, that, that doesn't actually work. You, right. It doesn't get you to what you're trying to do. This, this is actually the way you do it to get the outcome that you're seeking. Right. And I mean, it's, it's, again, I don't like to, I don't like to pin, to pin the problem on just like one thing. It's not just the leadership team, but it's also a lack of talent on the HR side too. Now, if I went to these organizations and they were maybe looking for a VP or a director, and if I interviewed with them, I showed them my value and I said, you know what? I want the chief of HR. I'm sure I'd get it, but there's just not enough talent out there to do that. There's not enough talented HR people that know how to talk business and understand people. And, you know, it's, it's a harder job than people think, you know, because as soon as there's a, as soon as there's a hiring issue or you can't fill the position or somebody leaves, it's always HR's fault, you know? And so a lot of people just, number one, they don't really want to go that route or they fall into it because maybe they process paperwork. And so they kind of feel like, okay, this, this is a natural career path for me. Um, but I, I think that it's two problems. You know, I think, I think HR, the HR altogether philosophies have to change. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this whole philosophy of isolating themselves, right? Well, we can't be friends with anybody. No, 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 no. You need to be friends with everybody. everybody. Like you're going in the wrong direction, you know, sure. because when I talk to people, the, the biggest problems are there's not enough there's a lack of representation all the way up and down the chain of command. HR is left out of big decision make, making processes for employees, which, you know, allows them to delineate responsibility, right? Because if, if, if you come to me as an employee and say, Trina, I really don't like this. I really want this change. And I'm like, I, I didn't, I didn't make that decision. Sorry. You know, that's, that doesn't help. And then there's just a lack of trust, right? Because, they just isolate themselves um, from everybody. And how do you know what your people want if you don't know your people? Because every company is completely different. You know, that's, the, that's why I talk crap on LinkedIn because all of these like culture connoisseurs or whatever, um, they think they have the answer to every organization. And it's just so incorrect because every organization is completely different from sure. the other. So aside from like the basics of, you know, don't be an asshole, um, be kind to everybody, you know, those things. Uh -huh the bigger things of like in you know engagement apps and company retreats and yoga and whatever 
none of that, it doesn't matter. Your, your, your demographic of people may not care about those things. And so you need to find out who they are. Who are your people? What do they want? What drives them? What makes them happy? And then you start looking at initiatives. You don't just start putting stuff in because you read an article about it on Forbes, which is shitty anyway. Yeah. I, it's, there's uh, so much goodness in, in that. And yeah, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, the, the, head of people in an organization, they, to your point, like they should be one of the key keepers of the culture. And uh, that is, that's a critical role. Um, the other one too is, you know, the culture is, uh, is made up of the people. And I, I took a company over about 10 years ago and I ended up having to turn the whole company over and bring in a completely new team. And I can tell you very confidently that the culture radically changed. It wasn't, I mean, this was a 10 year old company, but that mm -hmm. didn't matter. It changed because you took one group of people, they were no longer there. You brought in a completely new group of people. Guess what? You could actually completely reinvent what the company and what the culture was. It just happened to share the same name. Mm -hmm. So, And it's going to get worse yes. before it gets better, right? I think people have to be prepared for that. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden now you have, you know, there's core values and there's the mission and then there's all this, these people, you know, analysis, analyses and pull mm -hmm. surveys. And so it's going to get worse. I always tell it, it'll get worse just for a little bit though, sure. just for a little bit before it really starts to get better. But you have to be willing to go through that. You have to be willing to kind of get down there in the weeds mm -hmm. as a C-suite or as a leadership team and say, these are the things that I have done wrong. And I want to do better because I care about you. And without you, I can't accomplish what we're trying to accomplish. And so leadership really has to take responsibility when they, when they don't, it just, again, it's just that that's the culture that you create. If you're not taking responsibility, no one else is going to take responsibility. If the HR department is isolating themselves, everybody else is going to isolate themselves and they don't understand like the, the consequences of certain actions. Mm -hmm. Oh, so, so good. Well, uh, on that topic, what, what does have you optimistic about the future? I, I can tell that there's just a general optimism that you have, but the, what, what are you, uh, you know, what are you driven by there? What am I, you know, I would say, I don't know if this is, this is probably the most cliche thing about me, but my daughter, Mm. and her future and what that future is going to look like for her as a female not you know as a female but maybe a future mother or a wife or you know whatever that looks like I think what drives me is just even looking at my mom's you know past as as a working mother and mine we it has changed so much mm. um and even even the way she is and the way I am is completely different and so for me what drives me is I want I want to make sure that my daughter has the right tools and she knows who she is and what she's passionate about. And, and so I think helping organizations find that is what drives me because now I know instead of, you know, these handful of organizations that are proactive in this, I feel by the time she enters the workforce, if I keep going at the pace that I'm going, there's going to be hundreds for her, hopefully thousands hopefully millions <laughs> for her to choose from. And so that she's definitely my main driver. That's, ex that's great. And I would say similar, a lot of what I do, I, I think about my kids and what kind of world I can help evolve that, that will be more dynamic and more interesting and welcoming for, for them. So I, I totally agree. And we've got a lot of work to do there. That's for sure. Um, and and, and yeah. I fear, like you said earlier, that, um, things are probably going to get a little bit worse before they get better, but that's uh, that's how things move forward. So, time to uh, to draw this to a close, unfortunately, because I could sit here forever and and chat with you. It's been super fun. Oh, thanks, that's sweet. I always like to end my shows with a final kind of key lesson or piece of advice from from my guests. So, if you were to think about other entrepreneurs that are out there, I have a lot of those in my audience. What either key lesson have you learned or piece of advice that you'd love to share with them today? Stay true to yourself. You know, I, I, I think it's a lot harder than it seems, um, especially when you're an entrepreneur. And so there's something about being an entrepreneur where you need validation um, about certain things or in certain areas. And so my thing is 
let data be your validation. So if you're wondering if you have a marketable product or a profitable product, let data support that. But don't let people support mm. it. Don't look for validation in people. Look for validation in data and in yourself because otherwise, if, if you don't stand solid in the ground of what you believe in and what you're trying to accomplish, you won't accomplish anything because you're going to be pulled in dozens of different directions. People are going to tell you, that's where the personal branding thing kind of I make fun of is mm -hmm. that everybody told me I had to have like social media and I had to do all these things. And I can tell, I can read LinkedIn posts and I can tell when they like took some free course on mm -hmm. building your LinkedIn or <laughs> like I, it's so unauthentic or their transitions are so rough. It's like, oh, a picture of their coffee and what kind of coffee do you like to drink? What the fuck does that have to do with your business? Like, you know, and, and, but because somebody's telling them to do that and they're not mm -hmm. being themselves, you know, mm -hmm. that's not who, maybe they, don't, they probably don't even drink coffee, who knows? And so mm -hmm. I always say like, be true to who you are, do what feels right to you. If, if personal mm -hmm. branding makes you uncomfortable and you hate doing it, don't do don't it. Do it, yeah, And I agree. put all that time, into building an amazing product and service and you won't have to do personal branding at all mm -hmm. to be honest you won't even have to do marketing for your company um, because people are just going to come after you looking for it so yes. my biggest advice is stay true to yourself and you'll change i'm not saying you're going to sure. stay the same person but the decisions you make make sure you're making them for yourself and that they're aligned with the mission that you're trying to accomplish so good so good and that made me back to what I was saying with it, you know, if, if you can help and sometimes you need others to help you find that area of genius uh, or that, or that thing that really drives you, you know, and fires you up, but that's so good. Um, be, be who you are. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Katrina. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. This has been fun. And Thanks. I, that was the goal, right? I mean, that's the I goal. Live, that's can't right. live up to my uh, voted funniest in fifth grade headline unless i had some giggles in here <laughs> that's right that's right so you were you were funny uh you definitely would have beaten me out in fifth grade i i did not have the game uh, i would have sure. won just purely on lobbying <laughs> well look forward to uh to staying in touch and doing this again soon so uh thanks again and uh be well thanks gary take care You've just listened to Accelerate OC. Join our live recordings every Tuesday morning at accelerateoc.com or listen, like, and share anytime from your favorite podcast spot. Let's Accelerate OC together.